Welcome to episode 465 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Righto, team, welcome along to episode 465 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm awesome, Bevan. Well, you're awesome. You're still wearing that try- outer triathlon top, man. <laughs> <laughs> you, you really have <laughs> that top. So you remember I was wearing the same top last week and Bevan was poking fun at me then? <laughs> well, because seriously, it does wait, get a bit- did, wait, how long ago do you think you got it? It would be seven years ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. At yeah, least, because that was quite early on in the yeah. piece. Yeah, but we had several. I had, I had a, a the blue, blue one. Nice. Yeah. yeah, I had a grey one, and this is the black one. Oh, do you still have the blue and the grey? No. Oh, they, they, they used they, my dates. They've on. been retired. Even the no, t-shirts? no. I tell a lie. My blue one is now my gardening sweatshirt. <laughs> the, the, the the t-shirts were really nice as well. They were. They were the great. problem with the t-shirts were they shrunk a little bit over time. Mm-hmm. The cotton trunk. Yeah. And when you got big guns, but, like yeah, mine. then the guns come out. Yeah. Well, What's wrong know, with that? I was like the Hulk. I just ripped them apart when I tensed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking is proudly brought to you by. Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. And extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer and the patrons. We have some fantastic patrons. Daniel, Great Expectations Dickinson. No, <laughs> that's a good one. Paul, Madman Mitchell. Yep. Martin, the Silver Surfer Sylvester. Yep. Neil, the Ninja Stafford. Oh, yeah! And Tim Beastie Besant. Oh, we, we, no, those were classic ones. The thing that inspired me to, do, to suggest the nicknames was there was another podcast I used to listen to, which was a movie podcast. Years yeah. ago, I don't listen to it anymore. And they used to nicknames, but these were crap. These were just random nicknames. I just said, like, you know, it'd be like, um, it'd be like John, the sit on a chair, Newsome. You know, it was just crap. We deliver, John. So a number of people use their nicknames. Yeah, on Facebook and stuff. Yeah, but no, no, admittedly, there are. We have had a couple bad ones, but I'd say percentage-wise, one wise. or two. That's right. What was yeah. what was John? Who was John Newsom? Um, that was Thomas Peoples, wasn't it? Yeah, was it Thomas, Thomas Peoples? Thomas, Thomas John yeah. Newsom Peoples, yeah, something like that. Yeah, so, yeah. There you go. Okay, guys. In this week's show, John and I actually the reason John's wearing the same clothes as he always does is that we're actually <laughs> I always do. <laughs> it's the undies that worry me. Um, is that we're actually recording back to back? So I'm John's in in Hawaii, Hawaii? right yeah. now, and then I'm actually heading off to Bali next week. So we're kind of trying to preload some shows, and so this week's shows is a little bit different to normal. We've got some news, and I imagine there might have been some other news which we won't be talking about because we've pre-recorded this, and then we've got two interviews. Mm. We have. So we have Hal Tao Davies, a fantastic man that went 2.30 flat, more or less, in the London Marathon of ex-triathlete. He'll be back with us at some stage soon, as you're going to hear about in terms of on the triathlon front. But really just the objective there was to get a bit of insight into how did he get that fast at being a runner. He was a great triathlete. You know, he went, he's been sub nine and, and a really good athlete, but 2.30 is getting towards the fast end of running, and especially when you don't come from a running background. So some really good stuff to get yeah, your, your yeah, teeth Yeah, and he's into. not a spring chicken. No, no. You know, like he's 75, so yeah. that blows my mind away. Good times rock and roll. Okay, so we're going to get those interviews in later on. But first of all, Jombo, we have got a little bit of news. I'm in Brazil. It's coming up. It's the Latin American Championship. And I'm pretty sure 
as, as always, feel free to pop us through an email if we get things right because research is not always our strong point, but it is the Latin American Championship and I'm pretty sure this is the first time it has been the Latin American Championship. So that means $150,000 prize money as we've seen in both Sydney and also recently in Texas. 4,000 points, what that basically means, you win the race, I mean, you do get a guaranteed qualification slot if you win the race, but also if you place really high at this event, you more or less guarantee your ticket to get to Kona. You might have to go, maybe you have to go and do one other Ironman, but you probably don't have to have a stellar day at the office, or you can probably bump it up with some good uh, 70.3 results, but it's going to get you in the right neck of the woods in terms of qualifying, and uh, yeah, I, I love the idea of these championship races, I think they're fantastic, it means you get we get to see more head-to-head racing with strong athletes, and it also means that... Um, yeah, if you want to go to, to Kona, yeah, the, the path is a little bit clearer. It's not so much of a gamble in terms of going and doing five different Ironmans. You go to the big races and you perform, then you stand a pretty good chance of getting there. So this year, or last year, we had at the race uh, Igor Amar- Amerio, who took it out in 8.07 from Santiago Ascendo and Marcel Zamora in third. Good old uh, Dirty Harry there was last year in fourth place and Peter Vabrusik in you fifth. You make one mistake. Yeah. <laughs> you, make, you make one mistake. Oh, Dirty Harry. Dirty Poor Harry. Dirty Harry. And so those were the, the, the guys that took it out last year. On the girls' side of things, we had, let's see if WTC site plays ball this week. No, please select a category. I'll select pro. See, that's a problem now. You can't just filter for females no, and see weird. and see where the top age group ones come in. You've got to basically go through all the different age groups. So on the female side of things last year, we had Sarah Gross take it out in first place, 8.56. Good to see uh, sub nine there. Sophie Goose from Belgium was second in 9 hours and 27, and Irene Monticelli was third in 9.02. Man, some pretty close racing there last year um, 8.56 for first down to 9.07 for fifth so good to see Okay, so then if we look at the pro race field for this year, some pretty good names here. But then it's one of those ones where you go, are they all going to turn up? Because Joyce's name's there, and she raced Ironman Texas last week, so or a couple of weeks ago. So the, do we really expect her to turn up and race there? Joycey maybe, because she now she's is sponsored with no, she's sponsored with a team down there. I'd be surprised if she does. But she is now sponsored with a Coca-Cola team that that, that they I think they're based out of Brazil. Okay. So she she may be one. But I totally agree with you Leander Caves on the start list as well um, a bunch of other people that as you said raced in Brazil it's a pity really because the names that are here you've got like Marina Van Holnecker you've got Tim O'Donnell you've got you know, be, Tyler Butterfield you've got some really great names it's, those, guys, those guys will, yeah those guys will turn up and this is a real challenge that we're going to see more and more of because you know if I'm in Leander Caves position I'm probably, I am probably would probably do the same thing you go I'm doing Texas yep. if I do if I'm having a crappy day there or if I break something I need to have backup plan this is only a couple of weeks later i'm going to be in good shape need to get my name on the start list and the good Chance thing is that. nowadays for pros they only have to pay for one fee for a whole year so mm. there's no kind of financial commitment other than your trip well there are lots of financial commitments but at least race entry you can kind of sign up for every race if you really wanted to you can and this makes it so difficult and this is one of the challenges that challenge had was you know they've recently said right we're not going to do prize money at any of our races in the, in the states any longer or hardly any of them yeah. and it's because the pros a weren't committing early and then b if they did then half the time they're like oh 
I'm injured, I'm tired, I'm not going to turn up. Mm. And you can see it from both sides of the, the, the angle. But I think what it really, the necessity is going to be going forward, then you're going to have to go back to the days, if, if you want a good pro field, you have to start paying appearance money again. Mm. And that's how it worked in the past. You know, If you want to get Scott Molina or Dave Scott at the race, you go, right, I'm giving you 10 grand to turn up. There's prize money as well, but at least we know you're coming. You're getting 10 grand. Yeah, and, at the same time, then, what was it? What was the Meta Man? Where they put on massive prize money. Admittedly, the timing of the year was probably a bit late. Mm-hmm. And they struggled to get pros. They did. You know, so. like, you know, like a cam turned up. But, you know, other than that, they weren't really getting, for the prize money they were putting on, mm. they should have had a stellar field. Mm. And admittedly, they weren't paying a parents' fee. But if you turned up, you're getting a pretty good payday if you're a half mm. decent pro. And if you're a good pro, you're kind of guaranteeing some good money. So it's, it's a funny one. It's isn't just it? hard. For, for, if you're trying to market an event, you're saying, right, we've got Leander Cave. She was, well, I don't even remember what year she won it. About four um, years ago? It was, yeah, three or four years ago. We've got the Hawaii Ironman champion yeah, coming. Yeah, research, John. Um, no, no, she's not coming actually now because she did really well at that race the other yeah. day. So your whole marketing approach, you can't really kick it off until a couple of weeks before unless you've really got those guys absolutely 100% committed. So, you know, um, it's it's a real challenge. So, But, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a nice big field. Um, girls side of things, you've also got Mary Beth there, Leander Cave, uh, Maureen Half. Um, you've got, you know, a, a good strong field guys side of things got the likes of Paul Matthews Ronnie Shilnick he was racing last weekend in Texas as well and had a really good race so I think we're going to see a pretty big dropout rate Tim O'Donnell I think has raced there in the past I mean, he definitely has yeah he won it didn't he um, he either won it or, yeah I think he did yeah yeah. I think he went very close to 8 hours or may have gone under um, Tyler Butterfield you know, you'd think he'll definitely be there he's probably going to need some points so it should be. It should still be a great field. You got Matt Trotman, who was who won a no, Ironman last year. Is this too close to the one, the Texas race? You know, are they kind of divvying up the field by doing it this way? Well, I know obviously it's time of season. You kind of got to do it this way, but yeah. But you know, to have two championship races two weeks apart. I prefer the way they're doing it now than what yeah. they've done it in the past. Yeah. So you've got Asia Pacific champs and. So the start of April, we've just had Texas. Maybe you could say ideally Texas would be a little bit earlier, but then for the age group field, it's getting you know there's not enough time to train. Then you have Latin America. I suppose we have we have had South Africa recently as well. So boom, they are banged together very very closely. And the other question is, are there too many championship races now? Because um, really, South America. How many Ironmen are in South America? Are you talking age group athletes, or are you talking how many Ironman races? Races. Uh, there's not many. They have. They have another. They have Ironman. This Ironman Brazil. They have another one. Don't they? Have, uh, they have another one there. So there's, there's very few. So why would you need a championship race for that region of the world at this stage? You know what I mean? Like, <coughs> you I know what I mean? It's I like, see what you're saying. Kind yep. of like South Africa as well. Like, how many African races? I can know long term. Maybe they're trying to build those worlds. Yeah. Um, but like, you're kind of thinking. Well, the problem is, if it was just Texas a couple of weeks ago. That would have been an even more stellar field. Like Texas was a strong field, mm. um, but when they first put out the championship races, admittedly the American one was always at the wrong time of year. But Germany and Melbourne were mm. just wow. We were blown away. We were like, look at these fields, awesome. But now it's almost like they're divvying them up too much, especially if they're putting them on so close together. Yes, definitely see your point. Um, but I think these days there probably is enough athletes to have still. Like this is a championship field. When I look at this, there's enough big names on there if they all rocked up for it to be a good strong race. Versus, and I think in the past they were spread even more thin. So, so how many championship races are there now? So you got South Africa, Melbourne, Germany, Texas, and this is it. So it's five. So to, to, to North and South America, yeah, Australia, Germany, and South Africa. Pretty sure that's it. 
I think that's okay. I think yeah, the way they're doing it's right. good. It's just it's unfortunate that we kind of lose. Like I just imagine if they, all of these people were in Texas a couple of weeks ago, that would have mm. been really cool. Mm. So. But at the same time, then there's not enough money to go around. You know, you're paying a thousand bucks for tenth place. But imagine if it went twenty deep then. Mm. Yeah. So I don't know. It's just thoughts. Um, I'm just not sure if the the feel that that part of the world yet is big enough to justify having a championship race yet. Mm. Um, I, obviously, it's, you know, we talked to Andrew Messick a few weeks ago, and he was talking about how they want to expand into these lesser regions or regions that don't have the sport kind of ingrained in them yet so that's maybe future thinking so that's probably why they're doing it Leander Cave won Kona in 2011 2011 uh, I'm going to be interested to see how Brent McMahon goes um, he's going to be it could be a real contender for, for Kona this year if he can transfer his speed across from 70.3 so it should be a fantastic race but as I said just kind of depends who rocks up ok good times Jumbo uh ITU. ITU people this weekend is London. London. Yeah. It's a good course. Or is no, it flat it's flat pancake. Is it the same as the Olympics? Uh, do not know. Okay. Didn't do big research. Just saying, if you want to get some good coverage for the trainer, get on there, triathlonlive.tv, and it's 19.99 euros for the whole season. There's just content for Africa and just good stuff. Yeah. Really check, good check, stuff. Check it check out, out. Jumbo. Check, check, check it out. Okay, Jumbo, that's pretty much the news because, again, we're away. John's wearing the same. He's gone to Hawaii with that jersey on. Yeah. Damn it, it's hot over here. <laughs> why, why are you wearing that jersey in Hawaii? That's what, it is a nice warm jersey. That's why I was wearing it today. We're starting Do you to, love a hoodie, John? You and I, we always yeah. got hoodies on, haven't we? We're heading into yeah. Sunday. We're, we're well, into, well into winter now. Not well Do you ever put the hood up? Very rarely. Oh, dear. Very rarely. It needs to be fairly fresh for me to do that. I like the hood up. Yeah. Look at me. I thought I look pretty mean right now. You look crazy ass mean. <laughs> crazy, crazy ass, ass mean. It should be my nickname. Okay. Um, sponsor, tell me about Athlinks, John. Athlinks.com. Cool thing with this, put, in, put all your upcoming events in there. And give you, A, it gives you a little bit of a hurry up. You can see exactly how far you've got to, to go until your events. You can also lay a bit of Smackdown talk in there. And you can also do your research on the event for who's done well there in the past and where people sort of rank in your areas. So for me, um, bearing in mind this is recorded a little bit early, you know, I've got my, my key races in there, Wellington Marathon, 48 days away. That's a little bit of a worry. I th- my money is you're going to win it. <laughs> that's where I'm going. Well, to win Wellington Marathon, how fast would you have to go? It varies quite a bit from year to year. Does it? But I did have a look, and as I was doing the show, one... I, I one, would love it if you won. The, that would be the highlight of my year. Well, a guy, um, I think it might have been a couple of years ago, second place, 237. Oh, so was it a hard course? No, it's pancake flat. You can get crappy weather, so that can influence yeah. things pretty significantly. It's the middle of winter. So but if you had the best day of your life, I won't be running that fast because no. I won't run to a schedule to that. But if, if if I was in peak condition, I think I'm capable of going two thirty five, yeah. if everything went yeah. perfectly. Um, but I won't be doing that in Wellington. But it's um, yeah, I don't think it's Imagine beyond if you the realm. Wonder marathon. That would be pretty funky. That would be awesome. You get on the news, you say. Yeah, I know. Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know if the Wellington Marathon gets on the news. Yeah, they're all the big ones too, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. No, they would. Because yeah. Auckland does and the Christchurch does. Yeah. You can't pick on our Wellington listeners. Yeah. You know, good old old T-Rex and, and Swanee Noah. So the mountains now. I know. So, t- so 48 days for me until Wellington, 96 days until the Canterbury Road Champs, 117 days. You do Road Champs? Yeah. If I say it's 10K. 10K, accurate 10K. And doing another 10K, 117 days, and then 167 days until my big one, Auckland Marathon. 
So it's a cool thing, it gives you a bit of a countdown. As I said, you can then quickly go into those different events, see how your rivals and stuff have been there in the past, people you know going, okay, I had a look at what you know the guy that finished second to that marathon and then he went to Auckland and sort of did these times here and get a bit of a feel for you know how quick different courses are. So just a really cool tool for laying the smack down, giving you a bit of a hurry up so you know how far away your events are. 48 days is not a long time when you're injured. No, it's really not. Because <laughs> no, you're kind of meant to be kind of in your peak part now, aren't you? Yes. So that'll be a good, good, strong, hard training day, hopefully. And yeah, so check it out, athlinks.com. Are you doing a big weekend around it? No, I'm flying. I literally fly in at about three o'clock in the afternoon, do the race in the morning, and I think I'm flying out at midday. Wow. I don't even think I'm there for 24 hours. Wow. Mm. Man, you're like a pro athlete, you are. Yeah, just go just, in, take all the money. Win the race. Yeah. End up on the news, do an interview. Yeah. With your jersey still on. Yeah. Like, Why'd you race in a jersey? Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's my lucky charm. Okay, guys, we've got an interview coming up. We've got Hal Tell. He's been a, he's been a kind of an icon of the show forever. We've never actually had him on, which is mm. kind of bad, really. And uh, and he went into the London Marathon this year, and he had a goal of getting a sub 2.30. He did 2.30.07. So while I'm sure he's a little bit disappointed, uh, pretty amazing result. And uh, he says some great insight in this interview. So let's get Hal on right now. Righty-ho, one of the people you guys will have heard mentioned a lot on the show over the years is uh, Hal Tao Davies. Um, welcome along to the show, Hal. Hey guys, thank you very much. I think it's about 10 years of mentions. Yeah, yeah. Right. you're definitely one of the most, you, Botel, you know, there's a few of yous, you know. The mountain, the mountain snail. The mountain snail, yeah. Yeah, you're right up there. Yeah. Um, I, I talked about on the show a little while ago about your great run at the London Marathon, and that was one of the reasons for getting you on today. But before we sort of get into your, your current sort of scene, maybe give us a bit of context about, um, you know, where you've been at as an athlete. I know you've gone sub nine and wrote, but maybe just tell, tell us a bit of your life story in terms of uh, athletics. Oh, wow, how long you got? Uh, <laughs> well, funny thing is, I, just from kind of leaving school in university, I was always in the gym doing lots of various bits and bobs, which always involved concept two row machines, always involved weights, and always involved circuits. And with that, a bit of running, a bit of mountain biking, and just living the outdoors. And I think the breakthrough for me really came when I got a place on an adventure race team to come and do the Southern Traverse down your way. Oh, did you? Mm. And that was in um, 1999. And what a fantastic experience that was. I don't think I, I slept for five days, but the whole thing was just a, a blur of beauty that thought, wow, if I could ever do anything else in my life like that again, what a fantastic experience. And then after that, kind of stepped down to Ironman and it was something I'd always wanted to do without really being a swimmer I was of the mind that if I can do a five-day adventure race then the bike will be pretty much straightforward and I, I know I can get around the marathon just having trekked 40 odd miles a day and it wasn't a question of pace it was just get through it tick the box and as long as I could get through the swim I'd be okay and I'd finish an Ironman but of course, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> you um, you do one, and then you think, well, where can I improve? And the first one I did was the Almir race in Holland. Yeah. In, um, I think, years, it was year 2000. And 
having done all my race prep on a holiday in the Caribbean, swimming in a wetsuit with turtles and uh, tropical fish, then jumping into a diesel stinking misty dike in Holland. And that's Great when race I had my first ever. race by the sound of it. <laughs> yeah, well, I had my first ever proper panic attack about being around other swimmers and um, getting kicked and punched and not having a, a clear sight of where I was going. And it's one of those courses where you can drive the swim course because you just drive up and for a mile and a bit, turn around and come back, and you've seen the course. Yeah. But that was just such a, a daunting experience of getting through the swim um within about 30 meters i was holding on to a lifeboat saying no i can't do this and got my mind in place and then thought well at least i can do a breaststroke so i'll just keep swimming do about another 400 meters breaststroke and then it just clicked and i thought well every race from now on that's going to happen i'm going to go through some tough time but then go through the the rest of the swim and settle into rhythm and found i actually quite enjoyed it and the bike was pretty straightforward. It was uh, 112 miles, which wasn't really anything I hadn't done before. And the run, yes, there was cramp. Yes, it was a slow pace and um, a tough time. But it was not really anything difficult compared to what I'd stepped down from, where you you actually hallucinated and questioned your sanity. <laughs> so it was, it was really good fun. really enjoyed it and then went back the next year to do it again. And went 45 minutes quicker. Most of that was on the swim. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then the year after that was kind of a, a breakthrough year for me because it was a year I, I broke my leg. And I, I broke it doing an assault course race. And in the rehab of that, I spent a lot of time on the bike, just getting better on the bike. And that's when I started getting breakthroughs in time trials and, and making top tens in national time trial champs. And that then transferred to triathlon. So I went back the following year. So I'd taken a year out to recover, really. And I went, went back to Almere again. So I did it three times in a row, apart from the, the one year I was sidelined. And then um, on that course, I did 9.18, which... For me, it was this huge jump, almost going an hour quicker in three years. Mm. And the the very next race I did then was, was an Ironman UK when it first came over to um, Sherbourne and finished there just outside the top 10, thinking, well, as someone who can't swim reasonable on a bike and an okay runner, I've actually, I've actually done all right at this sport. So then I carried on doing another, I think, 13 races after that including hawaii and, and including wrote austria a couple of times and and then even stepped up to a double iron man so yeah it's, that's where the journey's gone really it's it's all about just wanting to get faster and, and experience the big famous races and i'm still not quite done with it i've had a bit of time out from it. i'm not quite done i still think i can go faster with um with a bit more training especially now that my running's a bit better and uh so i think yeah there'll be a couple more in me but not sure which ones yet 
And so why did you sort of make the move um, currently back towards sort of running? Is it just a, a fascination to see how fast you could actually do a marathon or was it sort of time constraints or just needed something different to do? Um, a combination, a lot of things really. It was um, my last proper big iron distance type race was um, I did the European long distance champs in Finland in 2011 and after that race, I had a really bad back problem that never went away for about a year. So what it meant is I could I could swim and bike, and then I'd get off onto a run and couldn't stand upright. And it'd take me about 20 minutes of stretching before I could get upright and able to run at any pace at all. So the next triathlon I did, I think, was... Uh, I think it was, it was Alpe d'Huez, and exactly that happened. I, I always wanted to do that race. Swim was okay, and the, the bike went okay. Got to the top of the resort, got off the bike, and then spent the next 15 minutes in transi- transition just stretching my back mm-hmm. just to be able to get out and run at all. And, and it, it wasn't pretty. I got through the run. But that was, yes, it was an iconic race and wanted to do it, but then... I got to a point where I thought it's a lot of travel, it's a lot of expense, a lot of training, not knowing whether you can do yourself justice. So when I got back from that race, I did one more uh, local half Ironman, which similar story. And then that was the end of 2012. And that was the build up. Then I thought, well, let's just concentrate on running for a bit. So October through the winter, then up to the London marathon was purely just running and a bit of cross training with, um, with indoor rowing, minimal swimming, not a lot on the bike. And that was a year. Then I did, um, London marathon and ran 232. And it really shocked me how fast I went compared to what I was expecting. But then that little seed is there again thinking how close can I get to what I'd consider to be a, a world-class time then going under 230 so I took another year um planning to to do that but that that included some more triathlon I wanted to go and do Ironman UK and qualify for um Hawaii again and go back and and do a proper race when I hit the 40 category but unfortunately a after London Marathon, I just started getting niggly injuries, especially a really tight hamstring that developed into a, a sciatic problem. So it was a, a similar story. Once I'd got the back problem sorted, getting back into triathlon, the swimming was okay, cycling was okay, but then get on the run, and I just couldn't run at any speed. I just tightened up in the in the hamstring. So I I did a couple of races, but then just knocked on the head and thought, we'll have one more go at London. And then 2014 was um, next London Marathon, which was then, yep, yeah, let's do this one, get this one out of the way, and, and then go back to triathlon. Unfortunately, being in the best shape of my life, then I, I pulled out at um, about the 10-mile mark with a locked-up hamstring, the one I had trouble with. And then question whether I wanted to continue in, in the sport at all. It's just totally a rational decision where you're, you're sitting on a tube station thinking, my God, is this, 
Is this what really life is about, of bombing out of a race and thinking it really matters? So you take it on the chin and, and think, well, yeah, what is important is is changing a lot of the processes to get to a successful place. And, and that was a big turning point for me, really, just questioning why I was doing things. And it came back to, yeah, it's personal growth and fun. If you're not getting that, then then don't do it. And it wasn't about times anymore. It wasn't about um, positions. And I just thought, well, the next race I'm going to do is purely going to be as part of a process of of just getting better and, and having more fun with what I'm doing. And then I gave another year of um, training for marathon, and this one pretty much injury-free, and I think I, I got close to what I think I'm capable of. So what changed in your planning for that race? So you obviously, you know, 232 is pretty fast anyway, so you are looking for, like, seconds now. Did anything actually change, or was it more just the consistency of not being injured, or, you know, why did you feel you had the race that you had this time? In your planning, um, at least. Yeah, I mean, a lot of things, a lot of things uh, came together. I think if I wrote them all down, there'd be a, that'd sound like Dale of Dave Brailsford with his marginal gains of, of fifty different things you can do, and, and each one of those made a little bit of difference. Um, a couple of main things I changed were I, I need to just get faster, and when we have something in the UK uh, called the Power of Ten website. I don't know if you've ever seen it, which it ranks every athlete who's a member of a club with their performances. So it's a bit like athletics, but very much running based. So you can see what anyone who runs time X for a marathon, what their splits they can do for standalone 10 Ks, five day, five Ks, half marathon. And even if you use something like a Jack Daniels or Macmillan calculator, you work out what you need to be able to run a 2.30 marathon. And to me, it's mind-blowing because it's putting me down at 1.10 for a half marathon and I'm close to sub-15 for 5K. And there's just no way I can run those times. But what seemed to be my strength was that my half marathon pace is very much marathon pace and it doesn't really slow down that much so the focus became well if i can improve the 5k i can improve the half marathon and and how am i going to improve them and the major thing i started tweaking was the the cadence my running cadence because i don't think i'm the most flexible person in in the world and i certainly don't do a huge amount of stretching and the other change I, i made was was abandoning a watch for training in terms of not getting hung up about times and distances. It was about, I know how hard I'm going to run. I'm just going to go out and run at a, what for me felt like marathon pace. And if I looked at a watch and thought, well, I'm either 10 seconds away from it or 10 seconds below it, then you start questioning what you're doing. So leaving the watch at home, uh, just running purely on feel, was a significant change in a in a gadget driven world that that made me much more comfortable with the running and much more about training for a specific purpose. So say tonight's run is gonna be going out I know a ten mile route, I'm gonna run it at marathon pace, or what I feel is marathon pace. And if I'm start with a watch and say, Well, I'm about ten seconds below that, is it worth continuing? Then you you kind of back off and think, well, that was a wasted session. So mainly the, the three things I think I, I really changed were the, the, the running cadence, the, 
the lack of sort of engagement with a running pace, really. So just knowing what it was like on feel. And the third thing then was about racing regularly as as I could. So things like the, the park runs we have over here, ten k's, half marathons, and that's where I was really finding out what my my pace would be uh, aiming towards a marathon. So I always felt like a a half marathon time trial was the best indicator for me rather than anything I do in training. And that's the times when I had the watches on and the splits on and, and the proper preparation, the, the taper down, the proper breakfast, the stretching, the warm up routines. And that was really the, the thing I could hold to compare against. Um, cause I, that was interesting. You should say that because one of the comments I probably made on the show, um, was, I think you were targeting 5k races and you were trying to get, down to I think it was either 16 15 or 16 minutes and I was thinking it's a little bit slow relative to what you can run a marathon yeah it is it's you know, I broke 16 for the first time uh, in the build up to this one but yeah I, I know what you're saying it, but I just don't feel that I can run any faster than that but what I what I always felt like when I'm doing a, a 5k time trial is can I negative split it? So can I go faster in the second half? And then could I actually do another lap at that speed? And and that's when I was really judging how far I'd come and what my progress was. And you go back to the calculators, as I mentioned earlier, that to run 230, you've got to be looking at 15, 10, 15, 15 for 5K. Mm. But if I trained for that, I'd spend more time sideline because that would involve track work and lots of hill reps and hard pounding on the road but i just don't think i can i can really cope with that training if you're if you're trying to build mileage as well mm. and i do love a quote that i i read years and years ago and kind of lived by it really that if you chase two rabbits at once both will escape so mm-hmm. it's a it, it's a nominal target of breaking 16 minutes but it wasn't the obsession it wasn't um the only thing I was training at, the main thing is what it was a stepping stone to a marathon time, not as a as an end result itself. Mm. Just just around your cadence. So was that purely just a a conscious um, effort? You go right. I need to stay on top of my cadence, or did you actually go out and do particular drill work? Um, yeah. So what was sort of the? How did you go about changing your cadence? Well, I was I was fortunate enough. Um, earlier last year to have a, an analysis done so this was during the winter there is there's a system called the v-move um it's worth trying to google it really to see what it what it shows but it, it takes garmin running dynamics to a, another level so it gives you much more independent leg work and leg readings and i had a test done with it and the test involved running at different cadences, different speeds, and it measures your ground impact force on each leg. And the normal running cadence I had was around about 180, which is always considered one of the optimums for, for distance running. But it showed up I had a huge difference between my left and right leg. And that's either a, a throwback from the injury I had with my back or from breaking my leg many years ago. But it then explained when I worked with a physio on that, that that's why I was getting so many problems with my left leg because it was, it was heavily loading. So 
when we went through the different cadences at 190 it evened down to about a four percent different and then at 200 it was dead level so it was one of the things I, I adopted quite early on to think well if i can run at seven minute mile pace and my cadence is 180 how would it act differently if i run at a cadence of 200 or get as close to that as i can and it felt very weird to start off with because what i started doing was just using um using a garmin purely on cadence not worried about pace or time but doing about a minute or 100 steps on 200 and it just felt really strange mm. compared to yeah, racing 5k at that sorry i bet it did <laughs> it's <feels> yeah <laughs> yeah but then when you download um, race data, I was I was racing at that over over five k, racing at one nine five to two hundred, but then training at one eighty, and it, so one of the big changes then was to incorporate that into all my running. So starting off at trying it for a minute, then for two minutes, and then for longer runs, and I ended up being able to run for a good three hours at at one ninety one nine five. And the difference was that it just worked a bit like cycling cadence as you you had much less fatigue, you, you recovered faster, and yeah, the stride length is short and it, it perhaps looked a bit strange, but but then it became so much easier to increase the speed just by opening up the stride length a bit, rather than consciously trying to increase your, your leg turnover, which sometimes feels a bit harder. So that was something that I experimented with then in racing and and the first half marathon I did, which incorporated a much higher running cadence, I was two minutes quicker than the previous year. And I, I know that that's not the only thing, but there's a lot of mileage and training the way into that. But then I was able to go out and run a normal training session the next day. So it, it really did make a difference. And it's something I would uh, say was, was a huge factor in, in the difference this year. So what, 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 in terms of the training, you know, people always want to know the detail. You've outlined already some of the key changes that you made, but were you following a traditional sort of running program? Like did you try to get up to 100 miles a week? And So maybe, A, paint out sort of a typical week for you and then sort of uh, maybe how you sort of periodised your year out in terms of volume and intensity and so on. Um, if we consider the... The main race, the marathon, was at the end of April. If we go back to December, in December, I I like to start that with get into January with loads of mileage, but injury free. If that makes sense. So you've mm-hmm. you've got the base then to start your sixteen week build up. And what I've done for the last couple of years in December is is combine an advent challenge that I've used to do with the row machine, but now do with running. So you start off on 10k a day and then follow the date in terms of up in the distance. So you end up on Christmas Day having to run 25k and then New Year's Eve running 31k. Hmm. And then that progresses really well from 50 miles a week up to 100 miles a week in the space of a month. But it's all done very, very slow and sometimes it's it's double runs and uh, you're trying to fit in sometimes three runs a day just to get the mileage but the point of it is that it just 
builds a little bit of durability and resilience in mileage without really worrying about the pace. So then you start your four-month build-up knowing that, yes, you can do a 100-mile week if you need to. But January then starts with just trying to build up speed endurance. February was then about building mileage. So what I was doing was alternating between high mileage months and much more speed months. So perhaps about 90 miles a week in the high mileage months and then 50 miles a week in the in the faster months. And that's where I'd concentrate on the racing side as well. So a typical week would be um, a Monday evening. So I do work in a seven-day cycle. I know it's uh, <laughs> it's very traditional, but it does follow with um, being in full-time employment. But So the Monday evening run was always a, a relatively steady 10 to 12 miles just as a recovery run from whatever I'd done Sunday. Tuesday night then was was interval work, which would be another sort of 10 miles. So my interval work wasn't a case of going somewhere doing lots of reps. It would be running as a warm-up, about 10 minutes, and then do one minute at a certain pace, one minute a little bit slower, then build that up over the week so it becomes three, four, five minutes with one-minute recovery run. And all of that then, based on that feel of, what it feels like to be running at marathon pace. Wednesday night, then I'd fit in a, a long run of about 13 to 15 miles. Thursday would be just a, a relatively short tempo run, so just under marathon pace, but only for about seven or eight miles. Friday would be my rest day, then a 5K race on the Saturday morning, which was always either experiment to try pacing or a flying die run or a negative split run or just whatever I wanted it to be because there's there's no entry fee, just turn up and run, just do what you like with it. Mm. And then Saturday would always be a double run day, so I'd find another 10, 15 miles in the afternoon and then the Sunday would be the the long, steady, slow run um, unless I was racing again. So um, that's where you get your... 90 miles from I mean, I'm never obsessing about doing 100 if it was 95 so what if it was 85 then I'm not going to go out and just tick a box to get a nice round figure so in terms of the you know, the lead into the race were you did you feel like you were on target were your times indicating that you know yep I'm I'm good to go sub 230 yeah I mean the first the first London marathon I did I went through halfway in 115 pretty much flat uh, sorry bang on 115 and then tried to have a go at running the next 5k a bit quicker just to see if I could negative split the second half I didn't (laughs) the famous 20 mile mark starts coming back to bite and um ended up running a 117 second half so Bearing that in mind, I I wanted this year to be able to run comfortably a 112 half marathon and then during the race, during the marathon, go through in mid-113, 114, just to know that I could probably run another 115 afterwards to get under 230. So I leave my my racing as sort of time trials until 
the month before. So I managed to do two good fast half marathons in March. But then the two weeks before the marathon was the only time I ever try and get up to marathon pace in training for any sustained period. And that's with a watch and with a schedule. So trying to hit consistent kilometers one after another. And the reason for that really is because it was, it was just the confidence boost that I didn't want earlier in the year to know how far I had to go. But what I did do in the couple of weeks before was to just realize how easy it was to hold that pace for about 10 miles, even up to 15, 20, it felt relatively comfortable. But then you know, on race day, you, you just know it's going to be harder and you, you kind of leave that central governor battle until, until race day. You don't want to go through it in training too often. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm intrigued to know actually when you're in the race, um, I had a quick look at the results. Two thirty doesn't really necessarily mean you're up the top of the field. Or maybe maybe talk us through, you know, what it's like um, at those bigger races. I haven't run one. Bevan hasn't uh, in terms of where, where you're placed because I don't. You don't start with the um, professionals. I'd understand. So maybe just talk us through the race and how that went. Yeah, London Marathon's a, a bit of a unique race, really, because you've got three starts. You've got a celebrity start and. And I think the, the women go from there a bit earlier as well. Then you have the, the championship start, which is everyone who enters on the time below 2.45. So the championship start, you've got to be in your club vest and you've got to be representing your club. And there's a few less of, of them there. Then you've got the mass start, which is the, the 38,000 you see on the TV. And at the start of the mass start, you've got the good for age guys, and and it's quite a lot of women. Sorry, not just guys, but mm. anyone who's run below their their good for age entry. So for the men, I think it's around about three ten. So you, you've got a few people in there who are, are going to go off quite quick, and it might be their first run in a in a big city marathon. So the three starts go off at the same time, and then they they merge after three miles, just before the the 5k mark. And from where I started, because I don't run in the club vest, I'm sure we'll come on to that. <laughs> then we we merge at the th- at the three mile mark, and you can see a lot of people you might know in that um, championship start because these are all the the club runners. But that's quite strung out at that point. So these are guys running around about the 2.25, 2.30 mark. And then they all merge together. So you can form quite small groups of about five or six athletes. And and it's at that point you decide which group you're going to get in with and run along with because you'll be with them for the next probably about 15, 16 miles. But it, it is actually quite clean at that point. There's there's very little traffic on the on the course i don't mean cars i mean people mm-hmm. and the streets of london are very wide everything's closed off and it does feel like you've got loads of space and you can you kind of run where you want really and you don't get much in terms of um, bottles thrown on the road either that you've got to step over but you've just got immense crowd support all the way around london but mm-hmm. the beauty of of that course is you can always spot people way up ahead and there's a lot of uh, good ways you can cite people there. So you, you see people you know who you should be running alongside, and then you can decide if you want to make a move and catch them up. But 
the further it goes on then the more that gets strung out so when you get to mile 20 to 24 as it comes along the the embankment past the London Eye it is very lonely <laughs> and mm. it, it exactly looks like one of the pro races that there's not many people behind you there's not many in front and and those at that point that are passing they're going to go past you because they've they've saved something and, and the ones you've passed you will go past them because they've just burnt out so you don't get many groups forming in that last six miles it, it does become a war of attrition that you're just running the best you can to get the last couple of seconds out so yeah at that point i think anything below the 240 pace is still quite lonely that it's very strung out so, so 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 tell us about your day so you obviously you came in uh, 2.30.07 I think oh, seven, seven seconds kind of just over the goal so maybe just talk us a little bit about that maybe the last part of the race so you, you obviously knew you were close um, talk us through it yeah the the first 5k I was leading the the mass field and and that's a great experience because there's no one behind you there's no one running with you and you just time travel on your own and then you see the, the merge and at the merge first 5k was 17.09 and and i immediately thought that's a bit too quick so i try to back off but then you merge in with people running a bit faster than you and you and they carry you through and it it felt really easy at that point so the second 5k was another (laughs) 17.09 and yeah a little bit um kamikaze pace that was so i did slow down a little bit and the rest of the run was was really uneventful it was great crowds great support all the way and i got in a group of people that we just chugged out the miles until it was around about mile 18 that the group started to splinter a bit a few people chipped on a few people dropped off and then all of a sudden i found myself at at mile 22 thinking yeah i'm a minute up on my pace i'm going to go under 230 feel really good i'm just going to do my solo run and uh yeah i'm happy so that's when it started to get quite tough and I was running on kilometer splits and up until that point I was happy with about 331 average and then I think mile or kilometer around about 37 36 37 I just looked down and saw 347 and I thought no there's no way I'm running at that pace so I tried to try to increase the pace and i'm thinking cadence thinking stride length and let's just open up the legs a bit and start pumping the arms and think yep i've got some speed there's a little bit of descent and yep got it i'm back on then you look down 346 bugger (laughs) (laughs) and all that effort and you just get nothing in return and and it, it is literally feeling flat out that you're going as hard as you can this is now the sprint finish and then you've got another split, 3.44. I think this is, this is not happening. And, and slowly, second by second, you just think, now that's slipping away. And then you get to mile 24. I think, oh, I've got to, just got to do this in 12 minutes. Two six-minute miles, and I've done it. And then you know it's there, but you forget about it, the point two. And yeah, that's when it yeah. starts. <laughs> Yeah, it started to sink in. I thought, no, two two six minute miles, I've got it, and I managed to get down into about a three. I think I did a three thirty eight. I thought, no, I'm I'm on it. This is great. The crowd will lift me. I've sprint finish. I've got it. 
And then you get to 800 meters to go, and I just watched the clock. And I needed then, I think the, the clock was on, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I needed to run a sub three minute 800 to finish under three minutes, sorry, under three hours. Mm. I say, yeah, I can do that. I can do that on the track, no worries. I always do that in racing. It's just a six minute mile. So I just started to relax a bit, thinking, yeah, I've got it. And turned the corner then, looked at the, the big clock on the on the finish. I thought, no, I haven't got it, because I just haven't calculated this right. <laughs> and I just started sprinting and overtook Spider-Man and overtook a few others. And I was giving it everything, arms out, fist pumping, looking like Usain Bolt, but no. <laughs> I just knew there was nothing there. Even with that sprint finish, I think I went to about a 5.55 mile and uh, yeah, missed it by seven seconds. So but, what, what was the feeling when you crossed the line? Like, were you, uh, I ran, I, I didn't make it, or were you, that's, you know, I had a really good run? What, what did you think? No, it was, it, was, it was a little bit, a little bit of, yeah, I haven't done it, but I know I can. And... It's, it almost felt a relief that I didn't in a way because it meant the chase is still on and it's going to keep motivating to go further and faster. And I did everything I possibly could to get into that position with about four miles to go to be able to break 2.30. But I think it's just another thing I need to do is race a bit smarter and perhaps my first half was too fast and, and that's the next stage for me is just to look at all my times I've run this year and every decent PB I've set has been with a negative split run, but I didn't manage it in a marathon. But crossing the line, it was, look, I've got a three-minute PB from the previous uh, previous run. I came what I wanted to do, which was finish the race in a, in a pretty good time. And it, it was a little bit of an eye-opener. When you speak to a guy... I don't know if you've come across Steve Way. He's he's a 40-year-old runner that started running, I think, about 34, 35, being 16 stone and living a life of beer and fags and took up running, doing 140 miles a week and went to the Commonwealth Games last year as the first uh, British athlete. I think he he ran 2.15 or 2.16 the Commonwealth Games, yeah. but he he was he got his first pro start this year, and unfortunately uh, had an injury. But he still ran around the course. I think he did two thirty six. But it's one of those things. I chatted to him afterwards, and I said, "Well, that limit is only what you've put it on. That two thirty eight seconds here or there is is arbitrary. It's that's not going to define how well you ran." Mm. And it's true that. I didn't wake up Monday morning any any less of an athlete or any better or any worse just because I, I ran eight seconds too slow. Mm. <laughs> and it, it it exactly means what I said. It, it means that I'm going to be able to run again knowing that I'm still not done with it. I will do another marathon. I've got another two for this year that I'll, I'll try and combine getting back to cycling and swimming. But that chase is still on and i think that chase is more motivating than the success so in a way it's probably better that i didn't get it yeah. because i might have just sat back and thought no that's done move on to something else but yeah the the dream's still there i still think i can do it 
and just need to to learn and grow a bit more as a person in terms of pacing and, and I should get it. So you mentioned you didn't start with the, um, the the sort of the club fast dudes um, because you don't wear a club shirt. Do you still wear no. the stupid Hawaiian shirt? <laughs> <laughs> or the lovely Hawaiian that's, shirt, I should say. Yeah, yeah, that's that's better. Yeah, not seen the photos. He does wear the Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> I do wear the Hawaiian shirt, and, uh, and I'll tell you why. And I think part of it is is you guys that um, <laughs> drove terrible. me to it, and and. To put a picture on on who I am, I'm very fair skinned. I've got um, a circuit trainer's build that doesn't look right in a in a gym and doesn't look right running. I've got a horrible running style that looks like I'm just muscling my way through anything. I swim like people want to throw their washing in, and my cycling, as you know, is just get a bag of nails between my teeth, get out of the saddle and just grind for an hour. Yeah. And it was um, something I picked up when I think I, I was actually out in Hawaii listening 2006 to I Am Talk doing the uh, podcast about the, about the race. And it is exactly true that people get so obsessed with how they look in the run-up to a race that if they don't look like that, it can phase them out and affect their own performance and i'll never forget the line that you guys said about people going out running three minute k's down alley drive with with their shirts off and Mm. that's exactly what it's like and it was something that has always been with me for any triathlon that i don't look like a triathlete but the performance does what i need to do so i don't go to pre-race uh briefings in uh race shirts i don't have to prove a point that i've done x amount of ironmans it and I've, i haven't got to look the part i just go in a hawaiian shirt and i'll carry a can of beer around with me and it makes me just lose the seriousness of of what it is that i don't get hung up about this is who i run for this is why i run it actually just makes me smile it makes me laugh that mm. i've got a hawaiian shirt on and people are thinking who the hell is this guy in a Hawaiian shirt? Is he serious? And the answer is no. And <laughs> I'm not taking it that serious to them, but you know, to me, one of the things it does in a in a big city marathon is it, it gets attention and mm. it gets positive attention and it gets a laugh. Mm. And for every bit of fun you get on on something like that, it lessens the pain a bit. And whenever anyone says, "Oh yeah, love the shirt, nice shirt," or "Who's that?" whatever in a shirt it makes you laugh yeah and during a marathon you need those things and it actually makes you smile and it makes you look up and it it stops you looking at the ground it improves your posture and it's something that has just stuck with me ever since that i did i did a race uh, just a local half marathon i think in about 2006 2007 and i put a big um a big wig on glasses hawaiian shirt drew on some uh, burners. I ended up leading the race, and it was absolutely hilarious that you're running through these little villages, and people expecting club runners to come past, and the first guy through is a guy in a Hawaiian shirt, and it just—it is just comedy value that it's just stuck with me. And I, the other reason is that I just hate running in vests. I don't know <laughs> if uh, you guys get the same experience, but when you've got a little bit of a, a body shape that comes from a gym background that vests don't really fit properly. They either chafe under the arm or they, 
and when you've got a, a really poor running style like mine it chafes uh, just above the above the chest and, and on the elbow and I just find them uncomfortable to run in yeah. Yeah, so um good. and I've yeah, also got so, to ask about um how tell did, did we come up with that or did, is that something that uh you had and we just uh tagged on the back of I think it's a bit of both I think um <laughs> I think when when any everyone can't that pronounce, was a problem yeah yeah I think I think it's just stuck with me since I think it's sad because we couldn't say it, and then you said it's hell like yeah, towel. Yeah, I said yeah, and you just pronounce it like towel. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, that's stuck there, and it's yeah. it stayed as my Twitter handle, and and yeah, it's it's just easier that way. <laughs> well, you, you've given us some bloody good things to think about. Uh, maybe you should be a coach. Uh, <laughs> um, if people want, if people want to follow you, um, what is the best way for them to do that? Because I know you do a fair amount of writing and stuff on on Facebook, but what's generally the best way for people to follow you? Um. Yeah, my, my website's a bit out of date, but I only use it for my blog these days, and that'll be recreated in, in due course. But, yeah, Twitter at Howl Towel, and, and then that links on there to the uh, training blog, which is training.howeldavis.me. So, yeah, nice. that's probably the best way. And um, I, I mentioned, I think it was on last week's show or the week before, you, you're fairly innovative in terms of you had a picture on there with extreme endurance on the background sort of superimposed on top of a, a barrier at a race that you did. Yeah. Um, so I know you use extreme endurance and you've had um, some, some fantastic results with that, but any plugs for any of the other guys that you're working with? Um, yeah, I mean, it's it'd been off and on with a, with a variety of different things over the years, but um extreme endurance is one of those things i've always stuck with and that's that's not any um it's difficult to say it's not a, a sponsor's plug because i've had to pay for it in at times and mm. when i've not been racing it, it's something that you if you believe in it and you use it then i keep going back to it and and i use it for build up to big races but yeah it, it's certainly something i believe in and and believe it works for me um the other thing i've done this year i've started using nuts a lot more in training i know that's well documented i've gone away from using any gels or energy drinks at all and that's been quite an interesting experiment and and you can read through the stuff on the blog there but the the use of sort of whole foods really instead of traditional energy foods has been quite a revelation for me and lots and lots of benefits from it but i joined up with a team this year team whole earth who make um, peanut butter in in this country mm. and we're doing a race as a team in june the man v horse race it's 22 miles over um, mainly welsh mountain terrain and the women's race last year was won by chrissy wellington oh, nice. so it does attract the best athletes in the world yeah. So um yeah that's in June so yeah I've um feeding myself mainly on lots of peanut butter as the as the main field it doesn't come in gel form yet but <laughs> yeah, yeah. spoon in a jar at the moment 
Yeah. Nice work. Hey, well, look, honestly, it's been um, great to talk to you. I've only uh, met you in person that once when I was uh, in pretty woeful shape and you spanked my butt up uh, the, what was that, Col- was Col- I, S- I remember S- the photo. S- Semnos. Yep. Semnos. Yeah, it was a Semnos famous Tour de France climb. I'm back out there in three weeks. Oh, good stuff. And now you've, had, you've given, it, I think, everybody some good food to thought, um, not food to thought, um, things to think about. Uh, with food their, for with thought. Food for thought. Yeah. Uh, with their running. So appreciate your time, Hal. And, Congratulations. Um, even though you didn't quite get under that sub, it's still bloody amazing if it make God. No, yeah. it's, it's, it's still a bit too shabby, Bev. Still, oh. still too shabby. I'd take it. I'd take it any day. <laughs> I'd take you. it. Awesome. Love it. Love your work, mate. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, absolute pleasure, guys. Keep it up. Jobbo, your thoughts? Uh, it's good stuff, Hal Tao. Loving it. Probably the most interesting area for me was, uh, I mean, he's clearly doing a, a fair amount of running, but nothing uh, crazy, crazy. But I think, as a lot of others, others will find interesting, that's just that uh, left, right and balance that he talked yeah, about in terms yeah, of the cadence. And that's the whole thing with power as well. You know, we talked about uh, with Hunter Allen, you know, all the power meters, a lot of the power meters these days are now going from just reading off one side to having two side. You get your left and right and balance and you think, right, I've just got to work on that right leg, make it a bit stronger, mm. but it's not always the way. And as Hal Tao found out, the solution for him was to increase his cadence. So was, we did this interview ages ago. Was it, it went up to like, what was his cadence in the end? It was like 200, so 100 on each leg, which is... Um, it's pretty fast. It, it's fast, yeah. Yeah, yeah you know, that's... But um, you, you know, your stride distance will decrease massively, but still mm. it's like it's... It's very, you know, be the short, choppy, sort of more like the Japanese, you know, you see yeah. a typical Japanese uh, marathoner and their legs are just ticking over really quickly and the likes of Gina Crawford. What's going to be really interesting with Gina Crawford, you know, she's trying to make some big changes with her running. Well, she's been doing it for about a year and a half now. Yeah, and going from that choppy, high-cadence style to a slightly more classical runner interesting to see you know how that transforms because the the feedback I get from a lot of athletes and also you know I've worked, worked with a guy in Christchurch called Nat Anglum he's sort of um, you know suggesting for a lot of people this high cadence running moving away from your classical sort of technique um, puts a lot less load through your joints and well, it's fan- placement is not so bad it's mm. interesting we um we for our runners we really encourage high cadence because we're getting new runners and so mm. and you know the impact their body's just not used to impact mm. and so we really encourage the high run the high cadence and we the people we can get to do it and we do a lot of kind of audio work so we give them stuff to listen to the people we get to do it the injury rate decreases massively eh? like it's mm. really fascinating to, to see and one girl in particular is she's a very tall girl so she's taller than I am mm. so she's over six foot and she's this long kind of levered kind of girl and a long lanky runner and she was always getting injured and we've got her up to a high cadence and she's running beautifully now and mm. injuries dropping down massively mm. so and for Ironman high cadence is really important oh because you just you just you know as you get further the deeper you get into the race you just can't maintain good stride length just because your, your muscles are you know, no matter how mentally strong you are you know your muscle just is just shortening and shortening and um so cadence is key it's basically a, just an absolute key message i always give to athletes whatever happens the final third of that run a big focus is on your cadence you know you need to be holding your form but also your cadence is critical do you think you could pull off a sub 230 no no but like if you you could commit the time and energy no you don't think it's possible in my younger days yes but not not now just why? Oh, maybe if I was... Yeah, I, mean, like, if, I mean, like, if, you know, like, no no kids. For, no, no. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> no, don't think so. Uh, no. I guarantee I couldn't. Oh, if I put my life and soul into it? I don't know. I can't oh, answer no, that question. I'd, I'd be able to get in the, in the, in the region, you know, in that region, but... Like if you had, that's just the most amazing day yeah, and everything if I, if, way. But it would require a couple of years of work and, you know doing all the other stuff as well, you know, yoga and yeah. 
core and flexibility work and strength and conditioning and all that stuff that sort of gets put to the to the side a little bit. It's um, in, you know, like to get that fast, like people don't. Such an amazing achievement, isn't it? Mm, it's you great. Know, far mm. out, Brussels sprout. Okay, John, we're going to have an interview. Let's do John sponsor. Let's do sponsor. Okay, extreme endurance. As yeah, you John, heard, it's ecom. Ecom okay. product. What are you talking detail. about? Oh, e-commerce. <laughs> I, was, I don't know what I was doing there. I don't know what you're talking about. As you heard, Hal Tao has been using extreme endurance for you know pl- plenty of years and finds it to be incredibly beneficial. And Hal Tao has been known, to, you know, he's got quite strongly opinionated. If you follow him on uh, on Facebook or anything like that, you know, he, he's happy to put his opinions out there and say when things are crap. And, uh, yep. and you know, he's been a long-time user of extreme endurance, so get on it. Also, if you're somebody who has uh, stomach issues, the probiotic's fantastic. Provides 28 billion uh, viable probiotic cultures and 10 strains of beneficial bacteria per capsule uh, it was the formerly known as extreme gut endurance helps boost immune systems improves absorption of vital proteins vitamins minerals and macronutrients and beneficial in the promotion of healthy digestive activity minimizes gi distress so if you've been having gut problems or if you maybe come from a history where your nutrition was really woeful in the past you know that really damages your your stomach and you got you need to be working on that sort of inter- internal flora and fauna of your insides and the probiotic is one way you can help it so check that out on xendurance.com and be like how tow and go fast and get your good recovery just using the standard extreme endurance check, check, check it out extreme just checking out those crossfit girls man i wouldn't mess with them <laughs> man these girls there was camilla who they sponsor <sighs> she puts my gums to shame i'm working on my guns now john uh, nothing uh, happened i need to get on this stuff the other stuff i was watching on the news last night we've got some kayakers doing quite well oh those at 14 they won yeah. the world champs didn't they uh, they won a world cup race yeah, yeah. and uh i said to Blin, those girls are built pretty solid yeah, man. they've got like the triangle upper body <sighs> nice one day i'll get there john mm. one day i'll be stronger than a girl <laughs> <laughs> Radio team, it's just Bevan here. I'm kind of injecting this in the show today because I got an age group of the week. I got an email through from Andrew Winter. Uh, well, we got an email a while ago for age group of the week and he emailed me and said, can you please put it in this week because uh, I'm not quite sure why, but I said yes. And so I've, I've said I'm going to do it. So first of all, he sent me an, us through an email a while ago saying, I would lo- like to nominate Tim Besant, aka The Beast for age group of the week. Tim is an avid endurance junkie and has completed numerous races, including several Ironman events in competitive times. On a balmy September the 20th morning last year, whilst out on an alpine training ride he'd ridden numerous times, Tim was descending from a favourite coal accelerated. Tim took a corner too fast, unable to hold the line, and with the back tyre blowing out, the bike went over, throwing Tim across the tarmac, narrowly missing oncoming traffic. He finally came to a stop on the verge of the other side of the road, luckily, or lucky to be alive. Tim was rushed to hospital where doctors advised that he had shattered his pelvis in several places and immediate surgery would be required. And I've actually got the photo of this of his pelvis in front of me right now. And uh, man, he's had some work done on that pelvis to get it working. One titanium plate, numerous screws, and six weeks later, Tim posted a photo of himself on Facebook mounted on his trainer with a caption, I'm back, so you and Lanzarotti, or Lanzarotti. Uh, five months later, and still recovering, Tim lined up to the start of a very windy and potentially hot Ironman Lanzarotti. Certainly not in tip-top shape, but determined to finish, Tim crossed the line in 14 hours. 
After the race, Tim commented that the highlight of the day was the emergency bowel movement at 32Ks into the marathon, which involved having to walk into a bar and convince the Spanish bartender to allow him to use the toilet in aid of a good cause. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good story. Uh, as everyone who's done this race well knows, to finish it in itself is a huge achievement, but to finish it after surgery of an injury is nothing short of astonishing. Well done, Tim. Tim is racing Ironman... Oh, I'm going to say Maastricht. I'm not quite sure where that is. In 10 weeks' time, where he hopes to beat his PB. Uh, also nominated by Bill Girls and Baked Beans. So Bill Girls and Baked Beans. So, uh, Tim, mate, you are you encapsulate everything Iron Man's about. When we face the biggest adversity in life, you know, you just take it as a challenge. And then, how do I get back to you know to being my best? And it sounds like you've just done absolutely fantastic work. So, well done, Tim. You are this week's age group of the week. Okay, we've got an interview coming up with a guy from Hits. John actually did the interview himself uh, last week. So this is one of the key coordinators in the Hits triathlon, and we're just kind of getting an update of where they're at around what they're doing. And uh, yeah, so I'm going to chuck the interview in right now. Right, guys, um, on this week's show, we've got a guy who is the sort of the leading man, the CEO of the Hits Triathlon Series, which we've discussed on the show you know, from time to time without really knowing a huge amount about what they're really trying to achieve. So today we're going to find out all about it. And in true I Am Talk fashion, I'm going to completely make a meal of uh, our guest's name, but I'll give it a crack. His name's Tom Struzeri. Have I got that anywhere close, Tom? Yeah, that was great work, John. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> so what is the correct, correct pronunciation? Uh, Struzzieri, that's fine. You know, I guess my, my father, who, whose uh, family came from Italy, would have said Struzzieri, but uh, we've, we've kind of modified it a bit here to make it a little easier on us. Nice. So, yeah. Before we get into the hits races, um, maybe tell us a bit about your background in terms of how you got into the sport and, and what's motivated you to you know, start this hit series. Well, you know, if you don't mind, I'm going to switch to another sport for a second, John. Yeah. Um, HITS is, a, is an acronym for a company that we have called Horse Shows in the Sun. So it was, a, uh, it was my passion for horses that brought me into that business. And we run horse shows um, around the entire United States. We run some of the biggest horse shows in the world with um, the three biggest or four biggest prize money classes that are held in the United States. And so my passion for that and my riding and things like that got me into to running those events. And uh I was quite enamored with horses and, and uh, followed my passion and, and created a pretty successful business. So when I, as I got a little bit older, I stopped riding a bit and concentrated just on managing events. And then to stay fit, uh, began to, to, um, to do a little more um, swim, bike, run and, and start to get involved in triathlons pretty late in life uh, at 50. Mm-hmm. And um, started to look at that as another passion of mine and said, well, heck, uh, it worked out pretty well with my last one. Let's see if we can't uh, give it a go in the triathlon business using some of our our same philosophies that worked so well with the horses. And you've done a you've done a foot. I know you've done at least one full Ironman. Where, where did you do that, and how did that go? Yeah, I've done three at that distance. Um, uh, I guess uh, you know, and I guess like everybody else who does them, I've had the, the probably the good, the bad, and the ugly. Right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> does that make sense? You totally. <laughs> yeah. Um, thank, thankfully the last one was, it was a pretty good one. I did Palm Springs in, in, uh, in December and, and I think I overcame some, uh, some bumps. You know, I'm not, uh, I've, I've read, I've of course read, um, you and your partner's resumes and, hmm. 
either you guys run a lot shorter races than I do, or uh, or I'm just a lot slower. Uh, but no, I, you know, I'm a I'm a 12 hour guy, and that's just fine for uh, you know I'm 56 and uh, you know started at 50, and I think I'll go uh, I'll wind up going sub 12, and and that's enough of a, a goal for me. Nice. So obviously you you came into the triathlon scene, you know, and you you, you saw the. You know the lay of the land in terms of, I guess, um, you know, you've got your WTC events in the states, you've got your independent operators, and then maybe your, your smaller races. So, what was your what was your motivation, and why did you think you could make a difference with um, with bringing in the hit series? Well, first, first, it's a it's a fun thing to do, right? You meet so many nice people. It's uh, uh, it's a group of people that that they root for each other, they they care for each other. It's a healthy lifestyle. So, all those things made it. Uh, Made me made me pretty interested in the sport, and we we're we're trying desperately to parallel our triathlon business with with our equine business. And so, for the equine business now, I'm into 35 years. I'm sorry to say, but I've been around for a while. Um, you know, we started off small. Um, you know, that was the element that 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 I that was the opening in the market because the the the, uh, the top part of the market was pretty full, and so we started off with the. You know, with the what you would call, or what we call in, in triathlons, the age groupers. You know, we started off with the more recreational um, riders, mm-hmm. and those riders, uh, you know, turned. You know, they 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 horse showed with us for a number of years, and as we as we got some traction and figured out what we were doing and and made plenty of mistakes and found our way, then we started to develop a business that attracted that attracted and appealed to the, you know, what we call in the horse sports the high performance riders, or we'd call our pro pro athletes in mm-hmm. triathlon. So we haven't gotten to that level yet. We're hoping we can follow that same path and, you know, in a few years, um, have the same kind of impact in triathlon that we have um, in horses. So really, you know, learn the sport, learn about the people, learn what works, what doesn't work, um, you know, offer a product that appeals to, you know, that certain client, um, you know, that's happy at at the recreational age group uh, competition, and then... And then figure out how we can incorporate what we've done in the horse sports, which is, you know, uh, make a mark for ourselves by offering the most money, and and gradually getting into the fact that we run, you know, some of the some of the best equine events in the world. So, so how, you know, for for the punter who's out there at the moment, how do you try to differentiate your events from, say, WTC events or or challenge races and stuff? If somebody's thinking, ah, oh, I'd like to maybe do a WTC race, I've got all the bling bling there, or you know, what what should appeal to your events versus those ones? Yeah, great question, John. And so you know, and I have done. I did uh, I did Ironman Copenhagen um, myself, uh, so I have experienced that. And I have to say, I'm, I'm, I'm glad it wasn't my first time going that distance. Um, you know, th- let's face it, I, I think WTC is, well, I don't have to think it, it's obvious they're the best in the world, right? I mean, they're, they're, it's a pretty special thing what, they, what they've done and how they've, and how they've used that brand and, um, you know, and, and gotten so many people involved in the sport, et cetera. So I'm going to stop, I'll stop applauding them for a minute. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, they, they've done a great job with it. But, I think for those of us like myself, new to the sport, um, or perhaps not, you know, particularly competitive, that those races can be a little intimidating, and it's hard enough to go 140 miles, eh? Mm. You know, <laughs> you know I, that that extra intimidation for someone, um, you know, at the beginner stages of their of their triathlon career, can make it pretty daunting, and so I think that for sure, for those new to the sport or those 
you know, who are who are who haven't, you know, who aren't going to go, you know, who aren't ready to go sub ten. I think we're a great fit. You know, we'll you'll you'll know everybody who works at the race. We'll you know we'll um, you know we'll treat you as family. Um, we'll make you feel as comfortable as possible. And those are the things that I think that because of our you know because of our small size at that distance, we're able to offer that perhaps. You know, obviously, the those that are a lot bigger than us are unable to offer. So, in terms of the, you know, you, you, all your events, we've we've and we've commented on the show about this. You know, you offer a full range of events in terms of, you know, like a enticer sort of event, a sprint, an Olympic, a half, and a full. And I guess one thing that we've sort of questioned on the show is, you know, at some of your events, you get very few people doing the the full iron distance. So. Um, What's the sort of motivation to keep that iron distance in there? I mean, it must be, um, you know, you mustn't be making money out of the, the iron distance part of the race. And, and, how, and what's the sort of feedback been from athletes when they're out there and there may be, you know, very few people on the course when, when they're out there? So I guess, yeah, my question is really around the iron distance part of your events and if that's the, the, a key part of, of what you're doing going forward or if it's really just about creating that whole festival of events. Well, it's a, it's a number of things, John. You did all your homework, right? So I, I got I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a tough time fooling you with any answers. So, but you know, some of our, you know, we had a couple hundred races at Palm Springs, and you know, we're we're figuring out, and that was okay, you know, in the fall, you know, out of our two thousand yeah. two thousand athletes over the weekend, if you can do, you know, we'll do the run in that situation where we'll do four loops. So you know, you're constantly seeing somebody at mm-hmm. least, right? So that's that, you know, and I think that's that's a whole lot better than when there's only fifty in the race and. And you're doing, you know, a, a one big uh, or or two thirteen or one twenty six mile loop, and you mm. you're pretty much you're, it's it's way too way too quiet. So that that's we've struggled with that. So we've had some races where we've had a total of a couple thousand. You know, we get some popular races, mm. um, you know, in the in the halves and the and in the sprints and the Olympics. But we, we're struggling with the um, with the full distance. You're absolutely right about that. I I just feel like um, I. I I'm fascinated by that distance and what it requires you to get it done. I love being around it. I actually, you know, anybody who's raced with will find will tell you that they'll find me out at a at an aid station, um, you know, just being just mesmerized by the people's will to to do that distance. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I'm 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 fascinated by it. Um, maybe that's a bad way to do business. <laughs> um, but it's it's been a unique ride this this triathlon ride for me and and uh, I'm hoping that I'm hoping that we can get to a point where those races become relevant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, I'm not so sure they are now. I guess you probably heard that uh, uh, for the Palm Springs race that we did in December. I did a little challenge where anybody, if you beat me, you can get to go the next year for free. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, many people are going for free next year. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I have to say the camaraderie was pretty cool. We had a great time, and you know, for the most part, they were they were very supportive of my efforts. You know, they knew what my what my time was going to be, and um, and it was uh, you know so you know uh, sixty or seventy of the racers beat me, and and uh, they got their free entry, and you know, we've got a couple hundred entered so far for that race. Maybe we'll wind up with three hundred, and and maybe that'll make it even a little more relevant than it was this year, and and and. Uh, and I guess if we don't get some traction with the with the long distance soon, I guess we'll have to relook at our 
a nice strategy. Yeah. Look, me for me personally, I've done races, an iron distance race where there's only been, you know, a couple of hundred people out there, and I personally find it equally as, if not more, enjoyable than when I'm having to deal with, uh, you know, two thousand people on the course. So I think that's something that people need to get into their head is um, just because you don't have thousands of people around you, it's you know you, you get a real true test of uh, of what you're doing, and if it, as long as it's a, a you know a nice, uh, fancy, good-looking course, then um, I love I love that stuff. It does. Uh, I enjoy it a lot more than having to deal with drafting on the Queen K. I can tell you that for nothing. Um, nice. So, in terms of your your, you know, your long term plans and stuff, um, I guess are you tracking where you want to be? And and in, in terms of a sustainable business, you know, are, are the numbers you're getting at this stage, um, yeah, basically where you need to be. Well, you know, it's it's not a business that uh, that, that I think that I'm, you know that the numbers are working. Uh, exactly where I wanted it to be, but that's no different than I have, I have a lot of businesses, John, and, I, and I'm, I'm a bit of a I'm a gamer, you know. I try, I try lots of things, so um, I'm not ready to to, uh, to fold it up yet. We're going to do it for a few more years. Uh, I got some changes coming on. We bring in some new people with some new ideas uh, uh, that hopefully can get us over the hump. Um, we'll be announcing that in the next uh, month or so, and and hopefully we'll get some traction out of that. Um, and you know, if we get to the point, what's good about those who are listening, who who are who are um, interested in in hearing about where we're going to go, if I can get over the hump and get a couple of three hundred uh, racers pretty regularly at that longer distance, hmm. they're going to see some pretty. They're going to see us come forward with some with some real prize money. And I guess let me give you some. If let me give you how how relevant that is. So in in the horse business. Um, you know, we do hunters, we do jumpers. So the biggest hunter class in the world, the purse is a hundred thousand, mm. except for ours, which is five hundred thousand. Nice. So the biggest jumper class in the United States prize money is a half a million dollars, and we do four one million dollar classes. Wow. So you know we're relevant in that sport, but I have to tell you, twenty five years from ago, John, we could have the same. If of course you're much too young, but if you had been, if you were a little older. Um, and you were a horseman instead of a instead of an athlete the way you are, we'd be having the same conversation about horse shows, and you'd be saying to me, "So you run all these, you run these grand prix for horses, and when are they going to be relevant? You you know, you're not getting the best riders, and you, yeah. you're you're getting so few. Um, but we hung in there with those, learned all the things you could possibly do wrong in the horse business. We've done wrong. <laughs> um, I still have a few more things to do wrong in the triathlon business. I'm sorry to say, but I'm getting there. Yeah. Um, and when we get it, we're going to get it. So how do you, in terms of looking at equine business and comparing that to the triathlon space, how have you, because this is a, you know, this is a nightmare that we have in the sport, you know, there's very few decent money races out there, I mean it's, it's okay in some events but still, for the pros to make um, you know, the big bucks and for it to be paying really deep and make it sustainable for a large number of pros, it's just, it just doesn't happen, so what did you do in in that equine space? And and I, I assume the markets are similar. You know, the equine space is affluent people, but so is triathlon. And are the numbers similar? And how did how did you get that traction to get those million dollar prize purses? Yeah, great point. So you know, the the, the basis in in the equine is, you know, when I was a kid, I'm gonna I'll back up a little bit. I want to ride on the Olympics, right? You know, as hmm. You know, so you know everybody does, right? You know, if you're riding and you and you you know you want to qualify for the for the world finals and you want to qualify for the Olympics and you know that's, but you know for most of us it's a dream, you know, and and, and in triathlon we're selling the dream too, right? You know, um, my son's 
quite a good triathlete. You know, he dreams of being competitive at the highest level someday. And, and, and that's important for us in any sport to sell the dream. And in equine, as in what hopefully will be for triathlon for us, the, 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 all those great 99.9% of the athletes that we're selling the dream to are paying the way for the elite. And so that's worked out really well for us. We have the greatest base in equine in the world where we'll, sh- we'll have, I'll have 12 competition rings at my horse shows um, and only one ring with the elite riders in it. The other 12 riding for, you know, riding for recreation and riding for all the other enjoyment and riding someday to be riding in the main ring are paying the way for those elite riders to ride for the big prize money. So that's number one. Number two, we're able to do, we, we've leveraged our sponsors really well. Um, we've done a good job in marketing our sport, you know, getting 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 it out in front of people, and and becoming relevant to some corporations that are prepared to write write some checks to us. And so, you know, those two things together, um, hopefully, something like that is how we'll become relevant prize money, um, you know, to the to the pro athletes. So the, so the ultimate goal is to is to have the you know that best of both worlds where you have a you know a family friendly event where there's something for everybody but you do have aspirations of of having pro races further down the track if everything goes to plan absolutely no 100 percent true that's really where we want to be it might be five years but you know if you're in five years a blink of an eye right so uh in five years uh lots of things could change Exactly. Cool. So, just maybe tell us a bit about some of the races, because um, you mentioned Palm Springs. I know I had one of the guys I coached. I think went to Naples last year. Um, so, maybe tell us a little bit about um, how many races you've got, sort of where they're at, and um, and uh, yeah, just sort of the highlights of the series. Yeah. So, um, you know, we do we do um, we do the Palm Springs race, which is our final race of the year. That's in December, um, which is you know it's a pretty nice place to be in December. I guess it's. In the, in the states, it's almost the only place to be in December. Yeah. Um, it's 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 um, it's worked out well. It's a place where we do horse shows, so we're you know it's a town that allows us to to um, you know gives us a, gives us a little more latitude perhaps than some other towns because they they know us and they you know we spend three months of the year running the biggest horse shows uh, uh, in the United States out there. So it's 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 a great place for us and, and it works out well. So that's one of our races that's popular. We do um, you know the Naples race. Um, is in January in South Florida, which is again pretty nice place to be. Be in January, um, and in the states there aren't many triathlons for sure. In November, December, January, February, and into March, there, there aren't too many choices. So um, those nice weather ones, are the, you know, in the nice climates, are, are your few choices. Um, that one, that one's a little challenge because Naples is so busy in the winter, but it's it's becoming a pretty popular race. I've raced the full distance there. I like it. We're changing that course a little bit to get us a little less traffic. There's a little too much traffic there, but it is a it is a great place to bring your family in and spend some time in January. Uh, that's a race that that gets about Palm Springs has about two thousand people total for all the distances. Nice. Naples does about twelve hundred. Um, we do one in Napa, which is Northern California in the wine country. Mm. Um, and you know, when I ask that one's our, that was probably our biggest race. We do over 2000 athletes there. Um, you know, when I ask athletes why they go, they say, they say it's, well, it's the, the wine region. I'm thinking, you know, when I'm training for these races, I'm not sure if wine was in my, was on my <laughs> list. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe that's what I'm doing wrong. John. I got to start. I gotta start popping right. some corks a little bit for some of these races. Right. right. Um, but that's a pretty good race for us. That is beautiful part of the world um 
a little bit uh, a little bit quiet. I mean, we'll set there. We'll be able to do the, the a thirteen mile run loop there, and you there's a chance you don't see any cars. Nice. Uh, which is crazy, right? I mean, it's just crazy. Um, and considering we're only two hours out of San Francisco, so it's a little shocking to me. Um, you know, we've got some races that are that are, that were that were trying to pull together. We had a new race last year in in Minnesota. It was the first time they ever held a a full distance triathlon in the state of Minnesota. I think that one has some potential to be a decent race. There's some races we probably shouldn't do, mm. um, but either they're in towns that we have a relationship with that want us there, and you know that that really want you know that 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 it's meaningful to them, or it's a town that 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 we have relationships with where we have horse shows, and so that makes sense. But we also have a race that we're starting in um, in uh, in Mexico um, next spring. It'll be the first time we don't do a full. We'll do every distance but the full. That's mm. the only way we can make a course work there, though. But it's a that has a lot of potential to be a nice race, and that that part of the country, you know, the Californians, you know, we do pretty well with. So that makes some sense. And uh, we do some marathons. You know, we do the Omaha Marathon, um, and um, we're doing a marathon in in the Bahamas, uh, Atlantis there uh, this fall. So yeah, we've got uh, we have a full plate. You know, we do forty some horse shows a year. So. You know, we do we do about sixty events. Uh, you know, with our races as well. So nice. keeps me keeps me busy. That's why my wife likes me so much. I'm never home. <laughs> nice. I'm about to leave for two <laughs> weeks as well. So I know that feeling. Um, and that's awesome. And I guess if anybody wants to to follow the hits races, you can go to hitsendurance.com, and that will take you through to the list of all the uh, tri events as well as the the running events. I I've got to say. Going for a, uh, a half marathon in Bahamas sounds like uh, a nice place to go and race. Um, any, anything else you want to get across about the series in terms of how people can follow it or any, any points you just want to get across to listeners? You know, John, I think that uh, uh, for those, it, it's a sport that, I'm, that I've, I've really begun to love. Although I'm late coming to it, uh, there's, there's lots to say that are so positive about that lifestyle. Um, and, uh, and I think if, if you're... If you're listening and you and you and you guys have lots of listeners, good for you, John. Mm. Um, if you're listening and you and and you're you've heard some things, you know, um, don't be afraid to give us a try. I think that uh, in the long run, we're going to make a difference. Um, and we hear, you know, we hear we hear the customers, we hear our guests tell us what they like to see, what they don't like. We're working on those things, um, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, um, we'll get to know uh, more of you. And just in terms of the pricing events, because that's what a lot of people gripe about um, with with WTC and some of the events. How do, how does the pricing sort of compare versus uh, WTC or, or challenge races? Well, I'd have to say that we st- that was one of the business mistakes I made, John. Was I started off with the races being priced too expensively, hmm. um, and we weren't given the value for the for the for the money. So uh, uh, we we may be we may be, we may not be the smartest, but over the long haul, we figure it out. So. Hmm. Um, you know, we made some corrections to made some dramatic corrections to that. For example, you know, we had a race in, in, in Grand Grand Junction, um, Colorado over the weekend. And if you sign up a year in advance, which obviously takes some planning, you know, you could you could sign up for a uh, for a half distance race of ours for a hundred bucks. Nice. You know, and so we're you know, we, we really make those prices pretty right. They gradually go up. So if you make your plans late, you know, you're gonna pay us more. Mm. Um, but anybody making plans and let's say that you let's say that you decided that you wanted to enter that race and then, oh, the full distance there. And as happens to many of us, you get hurt or it's not going to work or, you know, your niece is getting married. And so that's not going to be a good weekend. Um, right from the beginning, we've said, hey, so transfer another race. Yeah. Pick another race of ours. 
Okay. We have, you know, we have fifteen a year. Pick another one, and we'll transfer that money over to it for you. Mm-hmm. So we've we've made that work, and I think that uh, um, you know that initially when we started that five years ago separated us from from you know some, some of our peers, mm-hmm. uh, and that stays with us even now. Awesome. I love your work because um, we need some competition out there in the market. We need different sorts of events going on. Um, and obviously, you know, a huge number of people you know, have the, the Kona dream one day. But you know, I think it's so important for our sport that we have some good variation, plenty of choice. And uh, you guys are providing that. So, so nice work. And uh, yeah, we look forward to seeing how the series grows. And I can tell you, I would love nothing more than uh, seeing a million dollar prize purse somewhere down the track. It would be fantastic. All right, well, don't count us out for that, John. You never know. Thanks, <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Thanks for your so time. Thanks so much for your time, Tom. Uh, John, the patrons. Yes, we have got some patrons. Bevan's coming up with some names. I'll do a couple while we wait. Richard Stinger Ray. And they're also one of our local guys, Andrew Under the Hammer Taylor. He works as uh, in real estate. Bevan came up with that one. Oh, he's uh, a good guy, Andrew. He's a really he nice a good, guy. good guy. Yeah. Um, now, Sean, on the porno, are we just going to go with porno or are we going to do something else? That's got to be porno. porno. And is his middle name begin with P? Because I think on his... It is. Sean yeah. Patrick Barnes. It's doctor. Get it right. Yeah. We could call him Dr. Porno. It's probably sounds worse, doesn't it? Yeah. Porno is a funny one because it's such a good nickname, but it's the kind of nickname that does have its level of uncomfortability around when you're trying mm. to introduce him to new people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but porno is... Uh, well, porno, let us know. If you want a new one. Let us know if you want a new one because porno is iconic. Come on. Mm-hmm. When we were on road years ago, someone goes, oh, you're porno. Mm. So that was, that, you know, he's, he's an icon. You can't change it. Yeah. It's like, you know, the wise one, Botel, you couldn't change his nickname now. No. So, okay. So I've got Richard, i got Matt Craft. So what do you think of when you think of Craft? Well, I think there's two things. You've either got the Craft clothing range in triathlon or you've got Craft the um, food and beverage sort peanut of things. Butter. Peanut butter. <laughs> you could Craft call him peanut butter. No. Matt Nutty Craft. Nutty. Yes. Okay. And then Duncan Penfold. No, it's not even a name in the past. I don't recall one. I love the picture that Duncan sent in. He's wearing like this. Um, you got I'll bring it up for you. He's, he's wearing his uh, old school bike jersey. Like a, um, he used to, hold on. Like, a, like an old bloody, like a sort of front kind of. Yeah, you needed to, need, need to, you need to up, update your uh, cycling apparel. It was old school. Okay, well, Penfold, what do you think of when you think of Penfold, John? Come on. Wine? When, because Penfold's wine? Jeez, you and your bloody food. <laughs> no. Penfold. When you're a kid, there's a big cartoon program. Danger Mouse. Oh, yeah. And Penfold was the sidekick. Yeah. So I thought, well, Duncan, Danger Duncan. Danger Duncan. Yes, and Penfold because Danger Mouse. So I didn't go Danger Mouse, just Danger because Danger Duncan kind of works. Yeah. So you just call yourself Danger. Danger. Yeah. So there you go. And Porno, you're saying Porno unless you want me to change it. Yes. And, and to be fair, you probably don't want us to change it because it'll be, it'll be worse than that, that sensational Porno. Yeah. So these, these guys have been supporters of the show and have kind of helped us be patrons and helped uh, contribute a bit of their own money towards the show. Uh, it's a really cool thing. I love this idea of patronage and it's something I'm doing with the podcast I listen to because um, we live in a world where content's changing and uh, yeah, and if you get value from this show and I got an email a while ago which I really liked is that you know, I spend $5 on a coffee and I get way more value than I will from you, know, you guys doing a show. So, um, you know, so if you want to support the show, go to www.iamtalk.me 
um, yeah. Click on the patrons, help us out. And, uh, you know, $50 a month is the most popular one. Yes, <laughs> we'd, like lot, we'd like lots more of those. But look, yeah, five bucks a month, basically helping us out. 10 bucks a month, you get a, a swim cap. You come in at 20, you get a swim cap and, a, um, and also a cool... Beanie. Icebreaker beanie, and then if you want to, you can also get that. something said on the show if you want, can't you? Yes, you can. You can send in a little, uh, send in a little audio clip saying what you love about it. Lay some smackdown talk. Yep. I think it was was it maybe Tommy Moore that did that. The guy from Australia who's, yeah. who's a passionate doing, guy. Ex, uh, doing Xterra. So get on, guys. Support us. It's only a small amount, and it makes a big difference for us. It really does. It seriously does, because we actually are living on the street. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I have been wearing the sweatshirt for three. Exactly. Come on, guys. Three you weeks. Need to use sweatshirt. Yeah. Um, I'm talking proudly brought to you by Athlinks.com. Uh, social networking for endurance athletes and extreme endurance. You're gonna be big like Camilla. Okay, go on, Jombo. Watch your goss. So we're in the middle of Kona camp. People, if you want to get on it for next year. Come over. It's going to be before Ironman. Bevan will be over there for the, the tail end of it. Yep. And uh, it is going to be game on. We'll be looping the island again, but doing it in the clockwise direction, starting down at um, sort of the Waikoloa area and uh, heading out to Harvey one day and then basically going over to Hilo, going over to Volcano, coming back around to Kona, then biking the course. We're going to do the inaugural I am talk triathlon. That can be your return to triathlon. Is we going to do? A, How far a, is it? I'll probably do like a sprint try from the pier or something like that. I'll do it. Yeah. Oh, I don't want to take a bike. You need a bike. Uh, You're not going on holiday afterwards. You've been taking the bike such a mission, oh, and I only stop used it for like whinging. two hours. Well, you're going to be using it again now. <sighs> so I'm not going to get a hike. Out. I'm going to make you bike everywhere. There yeah, you yeah, go. Great. There you go. We're never doing that again. <laughs> First year we were so cheap. Bloody Belinda Granger living oh, up that Granger damn steep hill. Because we're in the world. Oh my goodness. Well, you were sweating a storm up there. <laughs> so camp is Luckily all good. Luckily it was Belinda because imagine if it was someone else. We turned up and we're like dripping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. So Kona is, uh, is all good as always. Okay, Jumbo. So what other goss is there? There is no other goss. Hmm. We probably should start doing our picks a bit more. Oh, I suppose we're going to be doing the fantasy try thing. I'll start doing my picks a bit more. We used to pick when we when we we'd oh we, for about three weeks we did. We John were came up with this great idea. What did you call it? It was like our own picking system. Yeah, and it was you versus me. And well, I, I thought I I thought I'd crush you, and you keep beating yourself. <laughs> Forget that one. <laughs> that one died. <laughs> yeah, if I'm not winning. It ain't happening. <laughs> but another thing we do need to talk about is, is the ten year um, weekend. So when's it going to happen? It's uh, in March next year. I can't. I don't think I've got anything on the website, but. I th- I have to remember that. I think it was um, March 18th or something like that, tail end of March, and come to Christchurch on the Friday. We'll basically swim across the Littleton Harbour, which is kind of iconic. I've never done it before. I'm really looking forward to that. Then on the Saturday, we'll bike uh, to Akaro and back the hard way, which is going to be 180 k's with some doozy climbing. We'll have different groups. It's not going to be a hammer fest, but we'll um, divide into groups so you get a good ride. And then we're going to do a classic 42k run on Sunday. It's going to be beautiful running. We're going to start from my place. I've plotted it all out. We run up Rapaki Track, along the Summit Road, out to Godly Head, along this amazing sea cliffs, and back to finish at my place, 42Ks. It's yeah. going to be, I've never done it before this run. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, it really will. Wicked views. Yeah, like it's paradise. Mm. That, that is beautiful. Joe and I went and walked around there recently, mm. and it's just beautiful. So check, check, check it out, guys. Okay, never goss, never goss. Um, Any song, new songs coming out anytime soon? Uh, we would have done open mic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, open mic. Okay. We did that. We would have done that. No, we're doing it tomorrow night. Can you do a recording and put it on the end of the show? 
No. 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 I'm writing the song the other day, which I thought, wow, that's a cool song. To, the, the, to me, the test as a musician is, what is it, does the song work when you're running? Because mm. I know you don't use music. Do you ever use music? I, I'm trying to do it, but not running. Not yeah. running. Never running. But, you know, when, you, you, like, when you're trying to run fast, a good song can give you the emotional push. Mm. And, um, and the other day we, wrote, we were just jamming around, and I kind of came up with this riff, and then I put it on that night when I was out running. I was like, man, this, um, it got me really charged. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's always a good clue if the song's mm-hmm. got something going for it. Now, mm-hmm. is it a great song? Who knows? But but that's a clue that, you know, what does it bring emotion out, John? Well, you got to play a couple of these songs at the House of Travel Triathlon Festival at the end of the year. Yep, I will. Can you put them on? Yeah. They're rock songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if you think they're appropriate. You're yeah. the DJ. Yeah, DJ, BJ. DJ, DJ, yeah. That's, that's gonna be Apparently, there's been calls for the nickname Mully to come back. We had an email the other day. Mully. Bring back Mully. I can't grow. I'm, I'm starting to recede. Yeah. The Mully's never coming back. Yeah. Unless I get hair transplanted, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the Mully's not coming back. Mully's not coming back. Because <laughs> no, when you start to recede, you've got to keep it short, don't you? You've got to go full short all over. Yeah, well, no, no, no. Like, I'm not receding that much, but. Yeah, because I'm just starting to recede a little. I've got this funny receding bit at the front. Mm. And so when I start to go long, yeah. it just looks really weird. Tri- triangle sort of. Yeah. yeah. So it just mm. does my head in. So I, but if I keep it short, it's not a problem. Okay. So I'm just saying, you know, John, we're aging. Just, yeah. Get it. <laughs> it's at the top. Shoot me now, John. Shoot me now. Okay, John, but that's pretty much this week's show. Iron Russ. Oh, you know, before we finish, oh, no, um, Legends of Triathlon should be out by now. And the, when am I putting it out? Uh, there needs to be in the next week so okay. make sure you get it out by now do you know what I'll do the same time I do this one okay so I've put today's show out Legends out right now Wetsuit Auction will be up there and we'll be running for 10 days get and that's for people where UK and America okay so UK and America get a deal of the century what was your favourite TV game show when you were a kid uh, probably Sale of the Century maybe Sipa Sipa I was a small boy yeah yeah I was pretty impressed with that mm. Steve Parr I saw the, a lot of people may have seen this. This was pretty funny. Uh, oh, New Zealanders. It was no, no, no. This was a, another game show. It was in America. What is it? The Price is Right. Yep. <laughs> they had it on a couple of comedy shows in New Zealand. Lots of people must have seen this. The Price is Right, and whatever happens on that show, they open up the the doors, and I can't remember how the show works. I think you've got to try to guess how much the items were. Okay. <laughs> so Jack, who's in a wheelchair. Yeah. And they open up the doors and go, today you can win a treadmill. <laughs> <laughs> and you're just cringing going, are you serious? Oh, no. And this is a proper game show, you know, high budget. I was like, oh my God, it was Have you seen this cringe-worthy. one, John? Have you seen this one here? Have you seen this? Oh, I've got to show John this one. Okay, so this, this is one of the most watched YouTube clips of all time. Uh, it's from a program called The Chaser in the UK and uh, so basically what happens is I'm just going to I know it's a very good podcast oh no I think I have seen seen this yeah and so Bradley Welsh giggles at Fanny Charmler Smeller next question okay so this is what sport does Fanny Schmeller think for German the name's Fanny <laughs> the host is just trying not to piss himself laughing. <laughs> he can't stop it. And now he's got everybody else. <laughs> he's in tears. He's trying to contain himself. 
<laughs> so the name's Fenny Smeller. Uh, Bevan, you got to put a clip of this on. Uh, it's not great podcasting. You got to put a clip of this on uh, on the website for people to watch. It's it's pretty funny. Contain himself. I've seen it a million times. It always makes me laugh. Oh, that'll be this week's YouTube clip. Yeah, Finish Oh, it's absolutely good. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm in it. Train hard. Train hard. Kia kaha. Oh, I love laughing, John. Here we go. <laughs>